0: Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry. Inside the battle over school food and beyond. Find us at Heritage Radio Network.org.
1: You're listening to In the Drink on Heritage Radio org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, uh, and I am really excited about. Today's show, uh, I forgot to tell you that In the Drink actually is the show that brings you some of the most interesting people of the beverage industry. And we've got one of them in studio with us today. We have Jules Dresner, who is the Jules Dresner at uh, Louis Dresner Selections. They import uh, and also distribute sometimes some of the greatest wines in the world. These are wines that I think are required reading for really anyone uh, who has a uh, wine list with European wines and a little bit of South American wine. But uh, it, the, when I know when I opened up my wine bar in Fora uh, back in 2010, I was like, okay, we're going to have a bunch of Dresner wines and then build the rest of the the list around uh, around the, these, these core outstanding wines. Jules, I'm so excited to have you in the studio today.
2: Oh, well, thank you. You know, I've always felt that I had a face for radio, so
1: <laughs> I'm ready for this. Uh, you all you have a you have an experience and a wit uh for radio um and i know you before you uh got into the uh to the the wine business um, uh, you were kind of involved in music a little bit right and you still you still sort of are how did how did you uh, like what what were you doing before i mean it, yeah i was
2: you know to preface that, the company is thirty years old. I'm thirty-one, um, so I was always around what my parents started, and um, it you know profoundly shaped me, um, mostly out of you know not out of choice at first because my summer vacations were them basically going and visiting growers in Europe and working, um, and they worked from home the first. You know, eight years of the company and they started from nothing. So it was was really something that always was around with me and always resonated with me on the level of being independent, Mm -hmm. answering to nobody but yourself, creating something from nothing. You know, they knew nothing about wine. They knew nothing about business. They knew nothing about the myriad of very boring laws that surround this type of work. But here we are we find ourselves thirty years later well eighty eight will be the thirtieth anniversary
1: was there a a a push to let to encourage you to be part of it, or did they say yeah, no go it on was and you on.
2: it was um it was um on my own i mean I know it made uh my father and my mother happy, although you know the, my father for those who don't know was was terminally ill was diagnosed with cancer in two thousand late two thousand eight or yeah and um and died in September 2011 So um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I was doing You know, they they had that very Kind of Figure it out yourself approach To life um, Which, you know, growing up in New York City Can lead to All types of interesting adventures You know, so my whole thing was You know, I think it's the classic You see what your parents do You don't want to do that And I had no interest in it mm-hmm. Um, you know, I liked drinking Beaujolais and Muscadet when I was 12 years old at lunch. Do you
1: remember your first wine? Was it something special?
2: I mean, no, I remember the first time I got really drunk, I was seven It was on the cider Yeah, Norman Cider
1: were your parents around? Or yeah, are you for like sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they, the we, Norman cider had a little sweetness. Too yeah, then, it was the know.
2: it was the the do. So it was the one with uh, with a lot of sugar. It just tastes like like fizzy apple juice, you know. And next thing you know, it's like me and my sister, who's five, like passed out at the table uh, at lunch, and yet we still drank some at dinner. So you know, it's the the attitudes are are not at all like in America mm-hmm. in Europe. Although, well, speaking of lax attitudes, that's pretty lax. But for the music stuff, yeah, I was just you know I was, I grew up in New York City. I was always really uh, enamored by the and the culture of music in this city and how much it's influenced the world, how much it's influenced me. When I when I was younger, it was all about it was about rap, hip hop stuff. And uh, so you know, the first time I heard scratching, I was like, I have to do that. So I got some really shitty turntables and started practicing all day on my dad's old Bowie records and which he did not like because one I was terrible and it sounded like shit
1: and two I was fucking up his old records that were to be fair not in very good condition maybe the wor- the only thing worse than like having a kid who's trying to learn the drums is like he's <laughs> trying to learn to scratch and it's like really bad.
2: Yeah, it's really bad. And also I mean I'm the first one to admit that like good scratching sounds really amazing for like 5 minutes and then you're like okay, I'm so over this. No matter who you are, unless you're the biggest scratch nerd, it just starts sounding exactly the same mm-hmm. and is really annoying even for me now. And so after a while I realized I sucked at scratching um And started mixing more and kind of throwing parties and a little bit in high school, then was promoting and throwing parties in in college, um, moved to the Bay Area as like a final push for music production and DJing and then kind of needed a job, started working at a wine shop, Mm -hmm. started putting things together that I'd never put together about the history of... uh,
1: was this oh, a good uh, and special wine shop, or is it like any other? Yeah, it's bit?
2: a Arlick and Wine Merchant in San oh, Francisco. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's it's arguably the best wine shop in the Bay Area, at least in San Francisco for sure. Um, especially at the time when I was there in uh, 2009. Now there's actually a lot of things that I would say more reflect kind of the the times and, and, and my personal palate. But at the time, it was certainly, I think, the the by far the best place yeah, to go for wines in
1: there like not only is it great wines but because of the the laws in california you can actually just buy a bottle and they have some they sell you some cheese and you can sit on the beautiful like garden and just enjoy something awesome yeah
2: five dollar uh, corkage and then you could just uh you could just pop the bottle open and, you know which was amazing for us too and a part of my kind of getting into it was just you know it, the the only way you're going to learn this this type of stuff is by drinking a lot of, and tasting a lot, but drinking a lot, honestly, because it's, if you're just tasting a sip of something, you go okay, whatever. But if if you're, if you're with a bottle, another bottle, another bottle for the next vintage, that's when you start understanding things. So that was it was a great opportunity on that level. And that's when I really, you know, started having that that access to, well also tasting with reps and going, you know, every day or every. Every four days of the week, mm-hmm. there'd be reps at 1 p.m. and we'd taste stuff. I was like, what is this? This is horrible. You know, like these wines are terrible. Then I look at the price, I go, oh my God, this California thing would cost $60 on a shelf and it's undrinkable. And it made me think about what I, you know, I, I kind of already knew what I liked. I just didn't know anything about mm-hmm. wine. Because huh. I've been
1: drinking Beaujolais and Muscadet my whole life. So it kind of shapes your uh, your palate. Yeah, oh, totally. Having those, like, I mean, th- and those are the wines that today are, you know, so in demand and so so cool amongst people who are like who love you know wine I I think I drink Beaujolais at home like my my and as someone who's a total loves Italian wine Beaujolais is still like the one that I feel like I can get the most bang for your buck out of
2: oh uh, yeah bang for your buck maybe but I think it's just you know it's it's just this kind of ethos and it's 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 a big part of the you know the quote-unquote natural wine movement is mm-hmm. about pleasure and having and enjoying yourself with it not taking it seriously and I mean Sure, there's, there's... I mean, I think a lot of Beaujolais ages beautifully, and there's, a, there's Beaujolais made to age, but I think what encompasses just, you know, pleasure in drinking more than
1: that. Nothing. So. Okay, so you had some time out there, and you, you were falling more in love with wine, and you're sort of understanding a little bit better why you like the wines, and then what brought you back to the East Coast?
2: Well, I was connecting the dots more, you know, like, you know, just kind of, okay, I always knew organic, there's small independent producers, but all that stuff when you're... You know, when you're nine, ten, fifteen, even it just doesn't sound like anything. It just sounds like okay. You know, I knew that you know, no chemicals, all this stuff, but the the impact, I guess, of what um, what these growers had on people, um, what what my father and you know, and of course my mother, but what they, the impact they had on the U.S., the way they were able to introduce. Um, all these growers to people, the way they were able to let these independent um, farmers in environments that do not, you know, are basically set up against their success to mm-hmm. thrive and to become basically the de facto thing people look for for when they look for, for quality now are these things, organic farming, hand harvesting, and then the, the whole winemaking process then goes to another level. But I think, you know, at this point... That's kind of, you know, it's like what, like how far to table at this point, if, if you're not getting good, fresh, you know, local ingredients, that's just to be, that's just expected, expected at this expected, point. yeah. yeah it's like, not like, it, oh,
1: wow, good job. It's expected. No good restaurant is serving, like, tomatoes in the winter. It's just, and if you get tomatoes in the summer in a restaurant, you should, you're in a good restaurant, you should just assume that they're actually good local tomatoes. Cause they should Especially be.
2: Especially if they charge you $12 for t- three slices of tomatoes, Absolutely. it's a basil, you know, but.
1: Absolutely. So you you came back and then did you start working with your uh, with with a family business right away or? Well, yeah. I mean, it's I, I actually started working. I was
2: still I started working with uh, was a, hired as an employee when I was living in the Bay Area. Still, okay. uh, my father was uh, getting worse, deteriorating, and um, we he we do an annual trip to France um, centered around the Dive Boutte and all and all these um, wine fairs, basically. For those who don't know what they are, and uh, we bring a lot of people. We bring the groups at this point are about twenty five people, mm-hmm. so they're large groups. It's almost like being a a first grade teacher. You know, everyone has to hold hands. Now we're going here. Now it's but it's cool. It, it works. We've we've got the system, and he you know he was always the one who led it because that's 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 who he was, and um and he wasn't feel he wasn't up to it to go. And the last year he went with two, 2010, and it's always at the very beginning of the year. And um, and he said, "Look, um, I can't, I can't make it. I'm too weak to go. Um, I want you to go. If you go, um, you know, if you want to give, you could give notice to Terroir, which um, is the first national mm-hmm. wine bar in the United States, So it's still open. They're going to celebrate their tenth anniversary, I think, this year in San Francisco. In San Francisco yeah. it has nothing to do with the places in New York. Yeah. Um, and um, great place." Yeah, and um, another place I learned a ton from, um, and um, you know, he said go on that trip and I'll hire you. So because I was already working on the website, which is the current iteration of it, which now, of course, five years later, looks terrible and outdated. But
1: there's I, still, I have to say, still outstanding videos. There's just incredible like primary source material on the website. Exactly, I, I, I reference it a lot.
2: Yeah, the, the site, the the contents. Is, is is good It's but, but, incredible yeah. yeah but Navigating it And all that It looks outdated But mm. anyway um, Yeah so then I um, So that I, I Went on that trip And was basically You know At that point Writing all that content Was essentially You know Not quite full time job But let's say Just you know In between Part time and full time job Because there's so much Stuff to write So much stuff to format uh, Stuff to edit To read And uh, so I was doing that And then Um Kind of, you know, it's a little, it's a little melancholy. But the what made me move back to the East Coast was when it was clear that my father wasn't going to live, and I felt that I had it made no sense for me to be so far away um, when the business was here in New York City, uh, when my mother is here, was here. Um, and you know it's much closer to Europe, so it just you know, Makes and, and it's, yeah. it's what I at that point I knew that's what I was go I wanted to do. So I just you know I had a conversation with my mother about it, and I said I'm going to move back, and, and that was in uh in August 2012. So I've been back already for oh, five years. Okay,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for speaking so openly about about this, by the way. And uh, sorry for your you know for your loss. I know I know the whole. Industry, you know, I I didn't know him very well personally, but it was just a loss to to everyone. Someone who who meant a lot as a, a real icon. And uh, uh, quick story: I, uh, I was in Georgia with Alice firing when uh, when she found out. Uh, I know she was she considered your dad a, a mentor and someone who taught her a ton. gave gave him a lot of credit. Uh, she tells a story about how she. Like would go to tastings and never liked any of the wines of the tasting and didn't know why, and then tasted tasted his wines and it's like, oh, I like these. And he helped her to understand why she liked the wines. But in Georgia there's this uh ritual of giving long speeches, um, like consistent like long speeches during the meal. People get up multiple times and there's someone who gives the the speech and they're like the toastmaster for the night. But they'll also appoint other people to give a speech and shortly after she found out, she gave an emotional speech in Georgia to this table and it was absolutely beautiful and it was really heartfelt and uh, uh, I think everyone you know there was there were people who at the table who knew him um, and people who didn't and everyone understood the importance and I think that a lot of people like people drink Georgian wines today a lot of, in in some ways because of the, some of the paths that, oh. that you guys very,
2: very indirectly but Indirect. yeah, sure
1: um yeah well, i didn't know that story you know that story no i did yeah. not know that story I oh, didn't know the story no. yeah yeah i was i was there was, 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 i'm sure I, over the years and on on the website i this morning i was reading through the uh, homage uh, that that, yeah, you that was this.
2: uh that no, we did that a year like exactly a year after and that was uh very very emotional you know you know Sad, but of course, so inspiring to mm-hmm. compile all that to for me to translate a lot of that because a lot of that was coming from uh, French growers and mm-hmm. uh, you know, also growers that are like you know guys that are not big talkers or not big writers are you know the, you know the, who don't give a lot on that level um, write such long um, you know concise. Um, emotional passages was, was really something that, you know, not that it needed to be cemented in that people felt that way, but it was, I'm very happy that
1: that came together. And for, it's beautiful. I encourage anyone to, to read it. Um, some, uh, you see, uh, people just love him and even if they gave him a really hard time, they'd still, you know, Well, he probably gave
2: them a harder time. So.
1: Yeah, that's what, that's what I meant. Even if he, like, really, he told Alice multiple times that she should stop writing. She had a terrible palate, and still, like, you know, his, something about him is uh, love, really incredible. How do you integrate um, him, and what's his legacy for your company uh, to this day?
2: Well, um, you know, how do I, he's integrated. I mean, he's fully integrated. His name's on the back. You know, it's my name. It's, it's, it's an ethos. It's an attitude. It's, um... It's a way of approaching things. It's, it's, well, those an ethos, an attitude, and a way of approaching there things. I don't really think I need to elaborate more than that. It's just yeah. a, our our way of seeing the world, um, and it, it, I think you know, in a way, it's this kind of this very journalistic kind of exposing people. Almost wine is is secondary to a larger kind of whole. I think, or at least I feel that way. Um, I wasn't really. It wasn't wine itself that drew me closer to this. It was actually the people, the stories, seeing that they were happy and satisfied and doing something against the grain, and um, you know, working together, finding each other, um, and also just fun, very interesting, good people. That's what drew me to it personally, and still inspires me to do it. And then the wine is is this thing that you know brings it all together.
1: It tastes good. I like to drink it too. Yeah, and I mean, you guys on the website have a, a pretty like clear set of criteria that you go for. Some of them are like wild yeast and hand harvesting, low yields. You guys can read them all on on the the website. Um, how stick? How strictly do you try to stick to those to those things? It's like if you taste a new wine, does it have to like check off every single one of the? Well,
2: you know, this is one of the big issues about wine in general and and goes back to what I was saying about just the way you have to just approach it, Mm -hmm. you know, from kind of an attitude or a a feeling perspective, you know, look, I mean, there's wines that have no added sulfur that are, you know, yeasted to death and fucking sterile filtered and just dead wines, but there's no sulfur in them. There's, you know, and there's people that are going to tell you they're organic when they're not. There's people that are going to say that, you know, so it's a thing, you know, we all know that there's no ingredients on the back of the bottle. We all know that someone could tell you something and, you know, unless you see the the bag of commercial yeast right there, you go, aha, I know it. You know, you you have to know what the wines taste like. You have to go see the vines. You have to, you know, if you you go look at vines, you're going to know right away. Are they working well? Are they plowing? Are they Mm -hmm. are they using herbicides? Are they using pesticides? Are they treating the vines well? Are they doing? Are they you know are they are they they pruning for lower yields to get more concentration? These are just things you see with time and you feel, and you you know you go into you know you it's it's hard to explain, but if, if you've never you know been to vineyards or have spent little time in them, after a while you feel different energies in organic or biodynamic vineyards versus conventional ones. You start to feel that and it becomes intuitive. Right. And it's the same with, mm-hmm. with native yeasts and stuff and, and or or you know a diluted wine from over yielded vines mm-hmm. versus a concentrated one. And for me the the main trick I have with native yeasts that uh, Stefano Bellotti at Cascina degli Ulivi taught me and it's never failed me, is um, if you take a sip and if it's if it, if it done with native yeast, it makes you salivate. So it's something that people probably don't even think about. But
1: a wine I with know, commercial... I always associate that with, with acidity. Native yeast. Huh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, man.
2: yeah, acidity too, sure. But, like, if it kind of, like, and stops, like, kind of cuts off, yeah. you know, and doesn't linger, mm-hmm. keep going, then... It's a yeast and wine. So you know how true is that. You have to you know, again. You have to use your own subjectivity and your own experience. But I find that more often than not, that leads me in the sense that, and he always said, well, that's going to make you want to do one of two things: eat some food, or have another sip. And if you don't want to do those two things from the wine, then there's no point.
1: There's no point in that.
2: So that was you know, I lived there when I was twenty, and that was also a big turning point. I lived in a. Lived on the farm and just spent, you know, spent a lot of time with him. So,
1: do you have some other like real big aha moments that you can think of that along your your wine journey? I mean, I, I've touched upon the main ones. It
2: was you know working at, at Arlequin, um, being exposed to all this wine that just was terrible and expensive. Yeah. I mean, terrible in, in my subjective opinion, um, and expensive and. And just you know, and then going well, okay. Then you know, I've I, I just kind of always thought that good wine was the type of wine that my parents brought in, and all the other stuff was two euro wine. You know, I was just kind of thought it was just like farmer wine and just shitty industrial supermarket wine. And so that was a big aha moment, just seeing how much of yeah. that you know world of, of you know spoofed out crazy shit existed. Stuff I had never tasted, or even you know, I. Maybe heard about it But I didn't care Spoofed to being An industrial,
1: industrially produced wine like Or you said. know
2: Over extracted sure. Over oaked Over everything mm-hmm. Kind of you know Just powerful flavors To just kind of go Whoa It's like what's happening With you know With the IPA beers now It's just like oh, It's just about like What's the, the most powerful It's like I'm, Which one could do The best Hulk Hogan impression <laughs> You know and, and yeah Like you taste You have one sip You go wow That's powerful And then you have another sip and you're like I don't want to fucking drink this It
1: sucks So I agree. So it was was kind of that. It's the same. Those are like the you know high alcohol, high oaked wines are those big IP. I hate. I really hate them too. Yeah, yeah. You could. I wonder if there's going to be a a a sort of backlash to that. Yeah, for definitely.
2: That's why goes and all that stuff's happening right now. It's you know it's a it's. it's, And I love Kolsch. Kolsch might be the glue glue beer. Kolsch, Kolsch, Pilsners, Lagers, lagers. You know, yeah. So, that's I what know, i drink so. that's that's what i know no, well it's <laughs> so that was the you know that was that that kind of and then you know tasting a lot of stuff and kind of figuring out oh my god this you know this is what i i, I always knew what i liked kind of but now it was kind of going backwards for most people it's like i knew the foundations of what i liked but I had to piece together the technical information mm-hmm. kind of while usually people it's kind of the other way around where they start with kind of Shitty wine, you know, shittier wines and then they kind of figure out what, what the, the ones they like that are better are.
1: Right. So it was the opposite. Now, I mean uh, partly because of the, the success of your company, a lot of other people have uh started to bring in um you know, low you know, organic wines, low sulfur wines, all this. Some of them are really excellent and some of them are, are really, really bad. Um how do you describe the kind of wines that you guys have and and love um i've been saying natural wines that don't suck but i think there should there has to be a better way to to describe what do you and how do you kind of deal with like the some of like the backlash with people bringing you know people like saying just because as you were talking before like just because it's low sulfur doesn't mean it's good well that's true yeah
2: um You know, I mean, uh, my dad always called them real wines uh, Mm -hmm. to kind of imply that there was no, you know, it was about, you know, tradition, old techniques, um, respecting the land, respecting the region's history, all that. So that's one way of putting it. Um, I just like really, you know. Do you how do you feel about the natural? The term I, I natural mean, wine? you know, it's just the same. It's like every every three months I read another think piece about natural wine. I'm like, it's been the same think piece since at least that I can remember since I've been actively paying attention since 2007. Yeah. It's been 10 years of the same think piece. Like, I you know, th- those critiques are valid but they're always the same and they don't change anything i think there's you know i, I i'll give you an example the first time i discovered carbonic maceration it was uh pierre bertola dilettante and i was just like oh my god this is so good of course that makes sense because beaujolais is made that way and so i was like this is amazing so i just wanted this crazy um just i want everything to be carbonic and it's like you know that's that's what I was obsessed with, and that's what kind of that was the first time I was like, Oh, these wines bring me pleasure and mm-hmm. ma- ma- give me enjoyment and you know and I was like, and then I was drinking like you know carbonic burgundy, I was like, this is the real burgundy, and you know and people are like you're you know whatever, dude, you're like you know, shut up you're twenty four but you know now, you know, I drink some some carbonic Grenache, you know, and I'm like, this just tastes like nothing. It just tastes like, you know, like Kool Aid. It's like, this is cool if it's like yeah. one in the morning and you just smoke the fat joint or something. It just like, it's like, tastes like nothing. It it's tastes kinda, like
1: the method over the. Yeah, exactly.
2: Else, right? And so, you know, you learn that. So I think a lot of people. Especially people who have been drinking just you know boring ass filtered standard things. They see something and it looks like kombucha. It's cloudy. They go, "What the fuck is this? This is crazy!" Or they taste Brett. They're like, "This is so funky!" And then they start associating that with what they like mm-hmm. because it's so different and, and and they can so they can so identify that to. Profiles that are different that they like, and so then they're like, "That's what good wine is," and then that the in turn they go, "That's what natural wine is," and then they become those people who are just like, "That's all they want to drink," and if that's all they want to drink, that's cool because there's always going to be producers that are going to make wines like that, and you know we have we have producers that have made wines like that, mm-hmm. or that you know in some cases still do make wines like that. You have to you have to open your mind to it a little bit and kind of find context to it and also a lot of these people get better that's yeah. the thing i mean if you were drinking renee moss you know 15 years ago the the shit would turn brown in five minutes really? you know yeah, and that's yeah. like okay you're making sure now with no sulfur and it would just be like brown and oxidized in five minutes and now
1: so it's part look, of it knowing like who has the the passion and the talent to get better and to grow with them like they're going to grow with you and a lot of the time I yeah. think
2: so, yeah. And you know, I mean look, you have guys now who will say, Oh, drinking moss is like drinking poison, you know, and and those are the guys that are making those those farty, you know, gassy uh, yeah. bready wines, you I know. Love moss. And so yeah, good. well that's what I mean. So it's just, you know it's all just, you know, extremism always leads to extreme people being with extreme points of view and you know, and if and then if they become absolutes in their Minds, You know, why argue with them? It's just that's you can't change people unless they want to change. Yeah. No dogma. Yeah. You know, so it's okay. You know, like the zeros, you know, it's like my friend was telling me, uh, my friend uh, Kenny, uh, who makes hobo wines and all that stuff, hobo Mm -hmm. and Ghost Rider. He makes a bunch of stuff in California. He was at the Raw Wine Fair. And there's all these dudes like with sulphurous murder T-shirts, no, you know, at the raw wine fair, and then they're all outside. A group of ten of them just, you know, chain smoking cigarettes. You know, it's all you know. Look, we're human beings. We, we contradict ourselves. We, we we believe in one thing. That you know, there's logical fallacies everywhere. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think we can, we can take a little break, though, on the note that uh, extremism in general is a bad thing. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum host of Feast Your Ears here on Heritage Radio Network. My show is about people, life, and food. Tune in on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock to hear me talk with people from all walks of life. I interview artists, writers, healers, chefs, and much more. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Your donations help keep us operating.
0: Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas Farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys, with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat them to Save them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just taste a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother
1: all right we are back on in the drink with jules dresner um uh, uh from louis dresner selections like i said at the top of the show this is i think the one of the most important uh wine importers and distributors someone uh, the the wines i absolutely love i drink them at home any restaurant that i will ever be a part of will have a significant selection of your wines i feel like it uh anyone who has european wines should uh Any good list with European wines will have a significant amount of your wines. I feel very strongly about that. Anyway, uh, the company started with with all French wines. And anyone who knows me knows that I love Italian wines. Um, And now you have some real iconic Italian producers like Elisabetta Foradori, uh, La Stopa, which I actually just visited a month ago or so, which was absolutely awesome. Uh, Radicon... Okay, Pinti. You're wearing a Radicon t shirt right now, uh, for those of you who can't see. Um, just uh, someone actually had lunch in Bologna with Federico Orsi. Um, what a great guy and doing some really cool wines, uh, at, at just outside of the town of Bologna. Uh, uh do you know the story of, as to how the company got into Italian wines? Because I think that there's, there might be like French wine people and Italian wine people, at least maybe at some at one point there was. And so it was probably, I can imagine there had to be some sort of discussion to get into Italian wines.
2: Yeah, the, the discussion was, I mean, look, the we didn't touch upon it, but basically, my, like I, I mentioned that my parents started the company with no knowledge of wine whatsoever, so the growth into what they ended up doing, you know, finding people in the Beaujolais, the Loire Valley was totally organic, and... Uh, more trial and error, because at that point there was just no foundation. There was no idea of, of what you know what to look for. It's just kind of let's see where this brings us. With Italy, what happened was in ninety nine or two thousand, um, Alessandra Berra, who make whose family makes uh, mostly Moscato, but also
1: Barberas and crazy white white wines and. All, um, and vintage Moscato, which I've I've had some like older Moscato from Vera. Yep. It was released like eight years ago. I remember I got some, and it was definitely it was like a, just trust me, this is awesome. Like you, we can't taste you on it, yeah. and that, that I don't I don't know if I ever like accepted other one, but it was like vintage Moscato, and yeah. it was. Awesome. They have
2: a, right now. They have a uh, I think a two thousand uh, souvois like like a, like a vin Jaune m- Moscato, and, and a nineteen ninety five
1: like uh, it, yeah it's and they're great huh d- d- yeah
2: they're 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 not what people you know they're very kind of mind bending yeah. kind of I don't know what the fuck I'm tasting was <laughs> but that's not a bad thing either
1: True, true. okay sorry I interrupted no so, no okay so so,
2: right. so with Italy Alessandro uh um, kind of cornered uh, Joe, my dad, and Kevin McKenna, the who's, our, who's been an equal partner in the company for now 20 years, um, and is very important, and it's important just to mention him, um, and uh, said, you need to work with my wines. And they said, who are you? What are you talking about? And, you know, it's Moscato, really? Um, but this was at the Div Bouteille, which is a big fair for natural wines. Um, 2000 was in the earlier stages of it. And she was really good friends with Terry Poussla of Claude Dutubeuf and uh, Pierre Breton. And um, she basically said, Come taste at my table. So they did, and they said, Okay, you know, thanks for having us taste. We'll think about it. Um, Kevin is, um, is half Italian, um, fluent in Italian, lived in Rome for a while. And was uh for two years, I believe, and uh, was a huge impetus in this. My mother and father, um, particularly my dad, were really against it. They said you know you know at this point the company was twelve years old they'd found their niche with loire and, and beaujolais and, and the meccana and and um it meant learning everything from scratch because remember they didn't know anything about wine. They're not wine people, and you know Italy. There's just so many grapes, so many things to remember. All these new, you know, a language they didn't know. So they were freaking out. No, I don't. We don't want to do it. Um, you know, this is crazy. We already have so much on our plate. Uh, but I think Kevin really saw, and uh, you know, is very fortunate in a way. Kevin really saw this opportunity because the uh, the natural wine movement in um, in Italy was about, you know, 10 to 15 years back from France. And, you know, no one really, I mean, still to this day, no one specializes in Italian natural wines. There's smaller companies now that that have started um, Critical Mass, Scuola di Vino, that have started Mm -hmm. the last few years. But, you know, in the early 2000s, up until even three years ago, I
1: mean... Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so, so they, so Kevin came back to... Alessandra and said, can you please, we're not going to work with you without coming to visit, we can't justify coming to visit just to visit you, so can you please, um, form like, five, five or so like-minded producers that you think fit in our book and fit in our categories, and, um, and, um, that would, that would work, so... I have to blow my nose
1: That's okay I appreciate you I know you've been Under the weather Yeah uh, Just one moment And yeah I, I've been I'm a big Rachel Maddow fan And so she has also Been under the weather And I was very happy That she was back on air Last night And so I don't know If, if you and her Have been hanging out No
2: There's no correlation there
1: Okay <laughs>
2: Um so, so, and then from that five, there was Cascina degli Ulivi in uh, Gavi. There was Cascina Tavin, who's in Monferrato, who makes um, uh, Barberas and Rucche and Grignolinos, crazy indigenous Piemontese grapes. Uh, there was Angelino Malle, uh from La Biancara, who's mm-hmm. an iconic producer in the Veneto, uh, one of the pioneers of really biodynamics and sulfur free winemaking in Italy, as is, um, of course, Cascina delle Ulivi. Um and uh, someone else, I think, yeah, well, maybe not. That's already so. But anyway, that was
1: that was the they, core, they tasted the group,
2: all yeah. of those producers came and met, and there
1: was like five, like every one of the producers, like wow, this, like these are all great, and yeah, I and then know, it was like okay, well, this
2: gives us a foundation to start, mm-hmm. and from that foundation, um, they started from there and. You know, and then there was just amazing discoveries like discovering Ariano Kipinti Ariano when oh she God. was 25 or something, and you know she just made her first vintage and mm-hmm. we started with her with her first vintage, you know so, in a way, you know, there was all the trial and error of, of France for 12 years, that was able to kind of There was a more honed in, better vision on how to find producers with Italy, which I think is why the Italian book is so dynamic and interesting. Also, Italy is dynamic and interesting, and there's some really cool stuff. And if anything, you know, I've heard people tell us that they think that, if anything, the craziest, most edgy, cutting edge stuff we're working with at this point is from Italy. And in a lot of cases, I tend to agree. I mean, you know, and
1: this is all the. Checks all the the hipster natural wine boxes, you know, but also delicious, but it, also delicious. It, yeah, I mean these wines are incredible, and it's been cool to see some producers like uh, Elisabetta Foradori, who's kind of evolved as they've been influenced by other producers and learned from other from other producers as well. Um, one of the things I always I think about at uh, At your tastings And I know that you guys do um, You kind of bring producers Together to different cities um, Is that they must learn So much from each other From having From having an importer who really works with all like-minded producers, right? Because in some some books you can find some like really, you know, industrially made wines and some really like great natural wines and some things that are like in the me- middle or transitioning or something. But you guys have like a lot of like-minded producers who are working with different soils. So they must there must be so much information exchange between Yeah,
2: them. I mean, um I think that uh, I've heard Kevin say um, that the thing he's the most proud of with the uh, this company is um, the uh, cross-pollination of mm-hmm. everybody, of other people from totally different regions with different solutions, different ideas, just talking and figuring things out together, learning from each other. And um and also becoming friends. I I really don't know. And you know, you could, if, if I'm wrong here, you know, someone correct me, but I've never seen some where such a, a group of people under one umbrella who have become so unified and like-minded from coexist co-interacting in in wine. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's 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 anyway. it's completely obvious that the influence is is uh, felt from one to the other. I mean, for though, you know, I, in 2010 Elisabetta Foradori traveled the Beaujolais with my parents because she wanted to make oh. Taraldigo lighter. So she was hoping to learn about making semi-carbonic tiraldogo. And then she tried and it was terrible and undrinkable. <laughs> so that's what led her to go to the Amphoras. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then now the Amphora thing, which of course is, has caught on in a lot of places for reasons other than Elisabetta but you know now, Silvio, her boyfriend at Monte Segundo, who makes wine in Tuscany, makes an amphora, Sangiovese that's delicious. Delicious. And Eric Texier has those same amphoras from that Spanish producer, and makes half of his old mm. vine Roussan in an amphora, and the half and the half of it in, in barrel, and 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 blends them. I, I think there's just what's nice about these people is that they're always thinking. There's no absolutes in the vines and the wines. It's always just about searching to make the best wines possible. And um, often that means lighter, fresher, more complex in their minds. And it's been, yeah, it's 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 totally fascinating to see that cross pollination of people working together. It's also inspiring for us too.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and last, you know, last we last I saw you, we were uh, at a tasting, and you were really passionate about the wines of Roussillon, and you, I, I really didn't know a ton about these wines and you were like totally schooling me and, and everyone else there. Um, and it could, I could tell you felt like really strongly that people should be drinking these wines, the, the good ones, obviously. Um, and they, they weren't really like, getting their due. Uh, is there another place in the, you know, in the wine world that, that you feel strongly about? Um, and have you, fa- have, since we, since we last spoke about Roussillon, have you started to see them around a little bit more too?
2: You know, it's, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, I think the Roussel is still the biggest fight to have. It's like mm-hmm. the, it, it still has this reputation, like the Beaujolais had twenty, thirty years ago, like Muscadet had twenty, thirty years ago, um, of bulk, you know, inexpensive, industrial wine, and um, there are, you know, there's some, there's some importers like Kemi Riviere, I think is the best example, who's really hoed in on just making her book about the Rusial, which is great. And, you know, when that's all you have to sell, that's, you know, you're going to sell it. So that's, you know, I think that's a good step forward. But that region is just, you know, kind of, there's just kind of this, this thing where people really have a false
1: impression about it that bothers me. Is that the Languedoc's fault that there's well, so many like well, produced wines? That...
2: Well, lumping them together is is totally absurd. They're completely different places. The Languedoc and the Roussillon are completely different. The Roussillon is much more influenced by the Basque country and um, and Basque culture, and the Languedoc and also is is, is has more schist, nace, um mm-hmm. and you know those types of of soils. Um, granite soils, while the Rusio, well, the long duck um, is much more influenced by Provence, um, much more French in style, and is more clay and limestone, so the, it makes no sense, and, and they have complete, like, the roussel has, I think, a hundred times less rain than the long duck, long duck's a much higher yielding region, so lumping them together is totally absurd. Doesn't make any Doesn't sense. Doesn't make any sense. Okay. And, it's lazy and, and, and yeah, so I think that's still. I mean, at least in France, that's that's to to talk about. Um, I think the biggest place I would say that I think, and we're the biggest, you know, we're fighting very hard um, through who we represent right now is Emilia Romagna. Yes, um, Emilia Romagna to me is. I mean, saying it's the Beaujolais uh, or the Loire of Italy is a stretch, but mm-hmm. I feel that way when I'm there because there is this joie de vivre. There is these. There's this this effort to make kind of very affordable, quaffable, enjoyable wines that are about just eating and having a good time. And they make all these. You know, like they, you know, they're essentially pet nats. They make like they all make pet nats that are awesome, mm-hmm. but they're tannic. They have you know like skin contact, and there's all these weird indigenous grapes like the Loire. And the wines are awesome. The wines are super easy to drink unless, you know, you want to make, you know, there's, of course, more structured examples. And, uh, the food there is amazing. The vibe there is amazing. And, and, the, you know, people, at least in America, but I think, in, you know, people like, you know, the, like that frontier of just like all the different types of sparklings, mm-hmm. the rosatos, especially the reds, sparkling reds is, I think the final frontier for the American drinker. Although, uh, some of our uh, gassier producers are halfway there, but, uh. Um, (laughs) That's a region that You know we I
1: I share your enthusiasm And I just got back I was there for like Eight days with my With my girlfriend Um, And you guys have Some of the most Interesting producers We have Orsi Who who I love And I said had lunch with him And he's Just such a Cool guy He's doing really Special things I have Tedeschi Camillo Donati My favorite uh, Lambrusco Luciano Sayetti Um Am I missing? Someone? Yeah,
2: uh, Vittorio Graziano, Graziano, who's like
1: basically, you know, that's the real unicorn
2: wine that we work with. I mean, that shit. Like, we're his importer, and we've we've been his importer for four years, and this is we're getting a third shipment just arrived. Jeez. he's impossible to get a hold of, and those wines are incredible. Anyone who knows those calls him the the master, the, the master
1: of Lebrusco. Wow, those, okay, I gotta check that out. Caninochi, Caninochi. Um, La Lastopa, of La course, Stopa, who we who we visited. Um, do you uh, work with Croce? Do you know those wines? Yes, I do know the Croce wines. You don't work with Croci. We okay. do not work with Croci. Okay. I'll we'll uh, leave it at that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I like the wines a lot. I do too. And um and um I like them and they're in Emilia Romagna, so I assume yeah. that you worked with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know.
2: Um
1: and uh yeah. So that, that's big. That's, that's like a going. Lot already, that's yeah. going big on a region that's really not known for their wines.
2: Exactly, and it's you know, and there's a lot of them are like they're Lambruscos, but they don't say Lambrusco mm-hmm. on it. So that's another whole kind of people. It doesn't say Lambrusco, or you know, and that that whole region I just think is totally misunderstood and maligned. And the terroirs are amazing. It's It's that's my Roussillon of Italy. <laughs> I,
1: I love it, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put it together, but it makes total sense. And the thing also I love about it is that those wines are delicious. They have a lot of personality, but all inexpensive. Like, all just like just total relative bargains. Like, you can have such a wine with such personality and so drinkable, and you're not spending a ton of money. And
2: that goes back to, you know, the, 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 that same ethos of the Loire and Beaujolais, where it's just, you know, I mean, those are wines that are very modestly priced for the quality. Yeah. That's you know so that's the you know, so we we're 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 not we're uh I love it. we're doubling
1: down on Emilia Romagna, so that's that's it's brilliant. Yeah. And I think those wines they they need to go I mean all these great wines you're talking about have food, but the food's so rich there and so delicious. And those wines are just like all begging. They're like perfect, perfect food wines to me. Yeah, but
2: those are also, they're very versatile. You could eat anything with those. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're they're you know, effervescent and like, you know, skin contact, white effervescent. I mean, that's the most versatile wine I can think yeah. of. And they're all low in alcohol, too. They're all super low
1: ABV. I love that. You know, for Italy, which is great. Yeah, and you can drink a lot. You're not getting a headache. You're not getting a hangover. Drink a little bit of water. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to get a better idea of this at the start of the show. I'm sorry I'm leading it to probably what might be our last question. But can you give us a, an idea as to what your what your life's like what like i i feel like i picture you traveling and spending a ton of time with growers and producers all the time you're you're in a lot of these you know making these videos that are are awesome and super informative um how much time do you have to spend traveling what how much time do you spend here what 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 is it what is it like to be Jules Treasure when it comes to work at least
2: yeah okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we're gonna, we're going to need a lot more than 10 minutes but uh For work, I mean, I'm based in New York City. I live in Brooklyn. um, And I, you know, we go to Europe. I go to Europe four times a year. Um, There's two trips to Italy, two trips to France. Uh, Those tend to be about two weeks. Um, Some we bring customers, some we don't. Uh, Then there's a larger extended period in France in the summer where we cover more ground. There's a lot of travel, a little bit of downtime, um, but mostly visiting producers. Um, and then um, where that I'm here, I'm here. You know, it's the, the people have this idea that being a wine importer is this glamorous life of travel and eating and drinking, and it's certainly a part of it. But um, most of my days involve staring at a computer screen, hearing people complain about um, the warehouse misdelivering something, um, figuring out how to get containers together to consolidate pallets. It's a lot, you know, it's um, a lot of it's just staring at a computer screen, getting logistics done. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're asking the work part of it, you know, I mean, and then of course, you know, the, I write the website, which is very time consuming um, when I'm actually, when there's actual content to write, but tons of
1: great content. And
2: and the content just comes from the constant,
1: from the trips, the trips are, you know. I, I like that the content is, uh, it seems like it is, and it is firsthand, first sourced content. It's not flowery. It's, this is what someone said when I was, this is, you know, this is exactly what we experienced.
2: Yeah. Well, there's some editing, but it's it's fairly stream yeah. of conscious and, and kind of just kind of giving, yeah, kind of a raw overview of what happened during that visit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so, so I don't know. I mean, I have a social life, as my grandma always asked me. How's your social <laughs> life? You know, I, and yeah, that, that's work. I mean, you know, the we're a tiny company. The,
1: in the end, I think people don't. I didn't, yeah, I wanted to ask you because I was looking through all the producers and it's like, oh, my God, there's one just great producer after great producer. And, and if you go through and, and look at the 120 producers or so right now on, on the website, it's like, I, I'm sure that's not the right number. 123.
2: 123.
1: And growing. There's and more. It's like, how are there so many fantastic producers in one like in one portfolio it makes you think that it's a bigger company than you think it is but is is it would you character, characterize yourself as a, a larger company no
2: i think our reputation makes uh is, is much larger than the size of our company although i mean we sell we sell a good amount of wine you know to be fair but we are seven people who mm-hmm. we're seven people who who do everything we have An office manager, Sheila. We've got my mom, Kevin, my mom, Denise, Kevin, myself at the office. There's four people in the office on a daily basis. We have a national sales manager, Josefa, who lives in Chicago, Mm -hmm. who's based in Chicago. And then we have uh, two salespeople who do the, the, the direct book, which we won't have time to touch on, but that's more smaller quality esoteric stuff that we distribute within New York City. Right. So that's, that's everybody. That's everybody. And, you know, wow. we, and we kind of, you know, take the, take, we do everything basically. And it's part of the, I think it's part of the success is, is keeping it, you know, we work in a very particular, um, way that's, uh, not exactly intuitive to the average business, I would say, <laughs> uh, but it works for us. And, uh, I, you know, um, the scale of what we're doing has gotten much larger, but the scale of the, the from the inside uh, remains quite small and, and intimate. And-
1: it's great. Yeah. All right, this has been that's been Jules Dresner of Louis Dresner Selections. Um, you can very easily figure out what is a Louis Dresner Selection wine by just looking at the back of the the bottle, and if it says uh, the company's name on the label, you know it's going to be delicious. Uh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. Joe. You here. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank David Tatushore who just put this whole show together and is the man. Uh, some help was provided by Haley Crane who's an intern here at Heritage for another month or so. She's been awesome. And the uh, executive director of Heritage. Thank you, Katie. You're the best. Uh, And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org.